let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Today on CityCast DC, Amanda Michelle Gomez from WAMU is here with me and CityCast's Julia Karen to talk about her reporting on liquor licenses and allegations of discrimination against Black businesses in DC. We'll also be talking about a big renovation at the Smithsonian's American Art Museum and Metro's scheme to rename bus lines with your help. Today is Friday, September 22nd. I'm Michael Schaefer, and here's what DC is talking about. Hey, Julia. Hey, Mike. And Amanda Gomez, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. So you did a story that uh, got rolled out with a lot of fanfare at DCist and WAMU, dealing with your investigation of liquor license protests and Advisory Neighborhood Commission alleged discrimination against Black-owned restaurants, bars, businesses. For folks who don't follow the intricacies of uh, Advisory <laughs> Neighborhood Commission politics. One of the most uh, infuriating to a lot of people things in D.C. is that these nonpartisan, locally elected neighborhood bodies get a lot of say-so over who gets a liquor license and who doesn't. Tell us about your reporting, uh, where you focused and what you found. Yeah, so I focused on a popular commercial corridor, 8th Street. I saw on social media there is a Black business owner, Chef JR, he owns Kitchen Cray, or I guess he owned Kitchen Cray on 8th Street because they've now closed. But the lead up to that, he was, you know, alleging that the Advisory Neighborhood Commission there, 6A, was discriminating against him. And he was, you know, it was very wild. I was kind of watching this on his Instagram. He was like posting um, like there was this meeting between the ANC and the mayor's team and him because things have gotten so contentious. And I was like, what's going on over there? And then he posted this like surveillance video of a commissioner going inside his basement, which was closed. And he was like saying that he came in and stole something. And I was just like watching this unfold on like his social media and was like, what the heck is going on? And so I interviewed him and he was saying that the ANC is racist and you know i'm not the only one who feels this way so i kind of started this investigation i was like okay this is really big allegation this is really hard to prove but then i also had heard about like this tension between the business community and the anc and so i've heard it in like different corridors and i was like all right there's something here let's like look and so i talked to a ton of business owners on a street and ask them everything. Like, do you think the ANC is, you know, discriminates against uh, a certain type of people, black people, certain type of business, uh, bars, whatever? And um, more often than not, I was either hearing an enthusiastic yes, or I was hearing, 
Well, my experience, I don't know, but I mean, the ANC is just a pain in the butt, right? And it was either or. Right. Which, just to be clear, anyone who owns a bar or restaurant would say, absent any identity-based allegations, the ANCs and bar or restaurant owners are almost set up to clash. Exactly. That's exactly right. The place where advisory neighborhood commissions have their greatest muscle vis-a-vis -vis restaurants, bars, et cetera, is when they are applying for a new liquor license or to renew a liquor license. And that's when they can do this thing called protesting it, which often is done as just a matter of course. We protest every single one of them in order to get a, to, to make a deal with them that they will only have, you know, 17 seats on their patio or whatever it is that we want to achieve. But it is the ANC's discretion who to protest. And you found in the data that their protests were more likely to hit Black-owned restaurants than not. That's exactly right. The agency that oversees liquor licenses, the Al like APCA, the Alcohol, Beverage, and Cannabis Administration, they just gave me the data. And I was like, thank you. That was very helpful. And like showed me uh, the last five years uh, from 2018, all the businesses that would be subject to protest from the ANC or other neighbors uh, of the 36 businesses Six were protested, five were owned by people of color, four were Black-owned businesses. And, you know, I brought it to the ANC and was like, what's what's going on? Do you think this? And, and frankly, they were like, to your point, our policy is to protest every business, every new business, unless a settlement agreement, an agreement on how the business will operate unless we can agree on something, on the terms. And I should say that's right. The ANC is majority white. And I've heard this from like several black owners who I come here, they're asking me all these questions. Like, what are you, what are you trying to do? And ANCs will defend, you know, we ask this because we just want to know. But I think it's more so the way it's asked, like the approach, you know, and, and also like how it's received. And so there's fights and sometimes it goes all the way to a hearing, which is like can be, months long, right? I mean, lawyers told me seven months. And then APCA, the agency comes in and is like, has to basically settle this this disagreement between the business owner and the ANC. And lawyers told me it usually turns out in the favor of the business, like that they're not as onerous as the settlement agreement or whatever uh, they want. But in the meantime, they've been paying rent for seven months and not having a business. And lawyer fees. And the lawyer that I was speaking to, and he's the restaurant association lawyer who's got involved in a lot of these. He was like, yeah, I mean, these can range from $15,000 to 50. It's Jeez. a significant sum. <laughs> like it's not nothing. And so while business owners don't have to enter into these agreements with commissioners, not only with commissioners, I've talked to a restaurant owner who entered into one with an association because associations also have the ability to protest. So he, was into, he entered into two different agreements. And he says, you sign them because then you're just, you know, yeah, time, money, you just do it even though you don't have to, because you just want to get it over with. So so you focus specifically on the H Street corridor. I'm curious if you heard from other business owners in other neighborhoods and what they had to say about this process. Mm -hmm. I did. So, so when I was talking to lawyers about this, they were like, well, that wasn't even the worst of it. You should have seen the situation in Adams Morgan. And I was like, oh, what happened? He was like, that felt very questionable. And so there was this Adams Morgan business. It was a, just a speakeasy inside a barbershop. He bought a property with the intention of 
turning it into the speakeasy. And he said his, you know, he was fighting with the ANC left and right because, I mean, the biggest sticking point for him why he didn't want to just sign away into a settlement agreement was because they wanted him to close at 10 o'clock. And he was like, no. Which like, is when I, all of his business would be. And on a busy ADMO block, like on the main strip of ADMO, that's like your target customer base, right? Right. So he was just like, that's not right. And he did the calculation that you did. He's like, I'm not going to close that early. That's going to, I'm going to shoot myself in the foot. And so he, you know, bought the ANC and, and, you know, he went all the way to a protest hearing. His wasn't until 10 months. It cost him tens of thousands of dollars in legal fees. It was very expensive. He tells me and his lawyer confirmed. And in fact, an ANC commissioner there, Peter Wood, was like watching this all play out. And it was like, what the heck is happening? Why are we fighting this business? There's not a lot of Black-owned businesses in Adams Morgan. Why are we doing this? And it turns out that one of the commissioners, because it was both the commissioner there and the Calorama um, Citizens Association that were fighting this business, it turns out that the ANC commissioner that was kind of leading the charge had lived in a condo right across the street from that business and was concerned about noise and such. And, and you know, and had extra, like, skin in the game or whatever the expression is but i mean you get the you, you get the draft is that he yeah. was and he and commissioner wood was telling me that it's it was very unfair and like even the tone of it like some of the language used felt like discriminatory all right so so what i guess i'm hearing here is that the place where there seems to be a breakdown is in the thing that happens after the they do their sort of uh rote protest which is all right, let's get together and we'll figure out, you know, some kind of agreement we can all live with. And then we will green light you on your way. And in some of the cases you reported in H Street, particularly in Kitchen Cray, that conversation itself felt disrespectful to the business owner. And it 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 strikes me that this is really you know, this is like sort of democratic self-government. Like, how does a neighborhood decide what what's going to happen based on the impact of your reporting? Is there a fix? Like, what would you recommend for how to organize ourselves so that this kind of thing doesn't happen or people don't feel discriminated against when there is a disagreement about a liquor license. I think one thing that struck me reporting this was that the case of Kitchen Cray, these meetings were not run by the commissioners themselves, but appointees. I just think that process in itself, like, it attracts like the kind of nibbies who like, I don't want to get involved in anything except approve or disapprove new businesses on the block, mm -hmm. right? You're not going to get involved unless you are that person. <laughs> Various business folks were like, if the ANC wants to, you know, really be in charge of this, why are they outsourcing it? And that was like a very compelling point. Another recommendation that I felt that I was convinced by was why are people allowed to protest a new business? Like they haven't done anything yet right it's like this unknown that you're protesting and so i think that's another like why are commissioners why are neighbors why are we allowed to protest something that's new and hasn't come yet thank you very much man that was pretty good reporting there <laughs> thanks It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree that's to help raise funds for homelessness in DC. 
The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow. There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sum's Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at sum.org slash spring soiree. That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G slash spring soiree. See you there. Speaking of public input, albeit in a less fraught way. We're about to find out if it's less fraught. I don't know. (laughs) All right. Remember Metro? They have buses, too. And they are thinking of renaming all of the buses in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia that they run. Julia, what is going on with that? Yeah. So... Here's the deal. Metro is looking for better and more descriptive names for bus routes. Uh, This goes back to 1973 when the agency basically took over these bus companies and streetcars. Those were D.C. Transit, the Washington, Virginia and Maryland Coach Company, the Alexandria, Barcroft and Washington Transit Company in Nova uh, and the WMA Transit Company in Prince George's County. Basically, what happened was they kept all of those companies own numbering systems to try and make it easier. Basically, it would try to alleviate some of the confusion, or so they thought. As of right now, it just makes us more confused. <laughs> but wait, wait, wait. So what do they want to rename them? Like the, the Chevy Chase Express? <laughs> right? Right. So, so in the old numbering and lettering scheme, there is like a little bit of method to this madness. So obviously there are exceptions to this rule, but like if it was a number only, like the 42 or the 92, it meant that was a capital transit streetcar back in 1936. So it mostly operates in DC. If it's a letter followed by one number, that meant capital transit bus from 1936. So that's like DC and Maryland. That's why the L2 goes from like Chevy Chase close to the Maryland side comes into DC. If it's a letter and two numbers, that was the old WMNA service. That was from Prince George's County. And then if it's numbers, plural, and a letter like the 2A or the 7A, that is mostly based in Virginia. So now Metro is asking for public input on what should we name our bus systems and our bus lines? What would be the easiest for people to remember? Is there a way to make this more streamlined and convenient and not from 1973 or 1936? Do you have input, guys? I may be controversial. I am like fine with the letter. <laughs> I am good. Like I know my H2, H4 buses. I will mm. take that. Like it's fine. You know what I would rather happen? I was waiting for the H2 bus the other day for 30 minutes. Like I'm mad about that. Like I, I don't know. I don't mind. Like it's going to be really hard to change the way that we like call these buses um i think like it just happened now i don't i am not so pressed about getting i'm not confused i'm 100 with amanda i think that, <laughs> that that it's for people who are you know from here and familiar with the system they know what it is now when somebody moves someplace new or goes someplace new you know they put the work into to finding out where things go but like the number of people who will be inconvenienced by a change seems like it'll it's widely more than the number of potential like new recruits who are like, man, I would take that bus if I knew, you know, if the, the name were something more convincing than like 32. And, the, you know, the problem with city bus routes is city bus routes go through all kinds of different neighborhoods. So calling it like the Georgetown local or something 
if we're talking about the 30 buses that run from Friendship Heights to across the river, calling it the Georgetown Local, yeah, they go through Georgetown, but they go through a lot of other places too. And, you know, they, they probably have access to better brands than us, but I can't think of a better name. Yeah, I will say one cool thing that at least New York City does that I think is really convenient is so for buses that are in Manhattan, it's like M and then like a number or like BX for like the Bronx and then the mm. number. So in that regard, right, it could be, I don't know, MD, like for Maryland, one, or like VA2 for Virginia, or DC4, or something like that. Like, I think that might be a little bit helpful, but obviously you have buses that go in and out of DC, like to Virginia and Maryland. So do you do DM or whatever? Do you do VM if it's Virginia to Maryland? Like, obviously I get that this could be confusing, but I wonder if there's a way to just like streamline it a little bit, you know? Don't you think they could also just take advantage of like, you know, back in the day when all these routes were named, they had like paper signs, you know, that the driver would rotate by hand. So it would then say like, you know, L2 Chevy Chase. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, it's all digital. The sign on the bus visible by people waiting for the bus could say like Chevy Chase via X, Y, and Z. And you're actually able to convey a lot more information. Um, and rather than like cooking up a new name, maybe invest in that. I don't know. Yeah. All this to say. If you are a confused bus rider <laughs> in the D.C. metro area, basically uh, you have until September 28th to weigh in. That link will be in our show notes. So if you are very passionate about renaming the bus system or if you're passionate more so about having your bus arrive every maybe 10 minutes instead of every 30, like Amanda, you should tell Metro. <laughs> All right. Wait. So so I just want to flag one other thing on the subject of rolling out new stuff. The Smithsonian American Art Museum has a really cool space on the third floor. It historically has been like a lot cooler as a space and as a place to hang out and have things than as it has not nearly been given that level of importance in terms of what art they show there. But the gallery has been closed for the last couple of years. They are today reopening it with more than 100 pieces. It's super diverse. It is like pride of place for a lot of like really important contemporary art pieces. I think it's going to be a big hit. It also sends a big message about that museum, that about the diversity and breadth of its collection. There's also a, a Alma Thomas show that's opening uh, this week. She was a school teacher in DC, became later in her life uh, a really prominent painter. But those two things I think are pretty exciting and things worth checking out uh, for this weekend. Have you guys ever been in that space? Yeah, actually. I like did. I remember several years ago, there was a it was after hours, so they had like a yep. like party mm -hmm. and like music, and I was like, "This is very cool. I want to do more of that." Right. And saw some really interesting exhibit. But one of the exhibits I was like reading through um, Kristen Cap's article in the Washington Post about this opening, and I was really excited by Martin Gutierrez's exhibit. It's called Clubbing, which is I am love immersive art. I like to take me there, like visually like all of the senses being used and it's like supposed to be like a dance floor and like the idea is to like you're dancing and like your gender and identity just kind of like evaporates and you're just like a body and it's like moving which I love and I'm like really into so it's like I'm really into that like I think that's why I like Glenstone Museum a lot because mm. it's very um immersive um but yeah I'm into the new things that are happening there because the times I have been they've been pretty cool that museum is, you know, has so many cool spaces. The courtyard between yeah. the American Art Museum and the Portrait Gallery 
most especially among them. So it's really cool to see a place which is a part of the museum where they had historically treated that as a really cool space. And now it's a really cool space with some of the collection that they are proudest of. For sure. Yeah. I think when people think of like the Smithsonian's American Art Museum, they think of that like electronic superhighway, continental U.S., Hawaii, and Alaska piece that's like the gridded state lines. They're all kind of lit up. They have these like kind of TV things Neon, in them. Yeah. Yeah, neon. Mm -hmm. And that is what I associate with that area. I think it's going to be cool to see something different and new, hopefully pop into that area. And that is like the gateway drug into like modern art, you know? <laughs> oh, for sure. Hey, Amanda, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, guys. Julia, always good to see you. Thanks, Mike. And that is all for today here on CityCast DC. Our lead producer is Priyanka Tilve. Our producer is Julia Karen. Our newsletter writer is Kayla Cote-Stemmerman. Our production assistant is Susanna Brown. And our hosts are Bridget Todd and me, Michael Schaefer from Politico. Music is by Alex Roldan. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and for heaven's sake, subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Bye.